All right, we're going to jump into our series in the book of Genesis. You only have a couple of Sundays uh, in this journey that we've been through since the fall. Took a little break during Advent, and it's just been an enriching series for me personally. And I know hearing hearing from a number of you through email that um, it's really opened your eyes uh, to this book that tends to be uh, overlooked so often. And we're going to continue in the story of Joseph. And, And if you were here last week, you heard about the series of unfortunate events that he went through in terms of at the hands of his brothers and also this triangle of love and hate between him and his brothers and, and, and Jacob, his father. Um, but also Joseph is probably one of the most well-known characters in the Bible. In fact, in Genesis, there's 14 chapters that are devoted just to, Genesis, to, uh, to Joseph. And, uh, you know, there's a Broadway musical done on him, Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. But if anything, uh, Joseph should be more known for his integrity, less, less for the dream cult and more for his integrity, and also his work ethic. And we see that in, in today's uh, message. We're going to look at chapter 39, and I'll summarize 41. But in 39, we see that, that Joseph is a, is a person that sees the importance of work, no matter his circumstances. And I think for a lot of us, that when we come to church, we don't hear a lot of sermons about work, even though we spend 80%, 90% of our time in work. Uh, we don't hear a lot about work. And I think for, for some of us, our attitude towards work is that work is sort of a necessary evil to, to hopefully have some vacations or, or money for your kids in college. And when you turn 65, then that evil of work will be gone. You don't have to work any, any longer. And my desire this morning is to redeem uh, that concept of work, because work in and of itself has worth, and the Bible teaches that. But again, so often when it comes to work, we see work as a necessary evil, it's demeaning, it's dehumanizing, and it seems like as a lot of us have worked in cubicle world, that we've had bosses that have come to us and, and really look down at, at us and demean us. And then there's a movie that actually comes to mind, and I know I'm dating myself, but the early 2000s office space, which, which so much, I think, reflects a lot of the American uh, culture when it comes to work. And here's a clip from that. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Uh, we have sort of a problem here. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. I, I forgot. Mm, yeah. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Did you see the memo about this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have the memo right here. I just uh, forgot. But uh, it's not shipping out till tomorrow, so there's no problem. Yeah. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great. And uh, I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. Okay? Yeah, no, I, I, I have the memo. I've got it. It's right Hello, Phil. Thanks. From 9 to 11. Hi, Peter. What's happening? We need to talk about your TPS reports. Yeah, the cover sheet, I know. I know. Uh, Bill talked to me about it. Yeah. Did you get that memo? Yeah, I got the memo. And I understand the policy. And the problem is just that I forgot the one time. And I've already taken care of it, so it's not even really a problem anymore. Ah, yeah. It's just we're putting new cover sheets on all the TPS reports before they go out now. So if you could go ahead and try to remember to do that from now on, that'd be great. All right. 
All right. What's ironic is that our song guy, Jim Durkot, works at a place called Inatech. <laughs> so, but I think for a lot of us, when it comes to the workplace, when we, we think about work, we, we, we see it in that way. It's demeaning. You have two bosses kind of repeating the same thing, and it is just absolutely, uh, it just drives you right in the ground. But the book of Genesis gives a different view about work, is that work in and of itself is actually inherently good. And as we look at these mountains, and if you're new to our church community, they've symbolized different chapters and different phases as we've gone through the book of Genesis. And one of the things that we've seen going through the series is that we've seen, for example, Adam and Eve, they worked in the garden. We saw Noah, he worked. We, we see Abraham and Sarah, they worked. Isaac worked. And as we're going to see, Joseph worked as well. And that, that there's something good about that. That it isn't a necessary evil. That work matters. Before I jump into our text this morning, I want to uh, mention just a couple of really good resources when it comes to faith and work because there's a, a movement within Christianity across the country and universities and seminaries really trying to bridge the gap between work and, and faith and trying to redeem work. And one book is called Work Matters by R. Paul Stevens. I used a little bit of that for my message this morning. And then another one by Andy Crouch, who used to be a writer for Christianity Today, called Culture Making. And, and two phenomenal books when it comes to faith and work. So if you have a Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you as we explore more of the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. And we're going to be going through verses 1 through 6. And you can pull it up uh, on your app if you have that, or if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the slides uh, behind me. Let me pray for us as we begin together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity for us to address a very practical, very timely topic in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would use this message uh, profoundly in our lives. And God, that, uh, that you would speak through me as I've prayed and have gone over this message a number of times over the last couple of weeks. Lord, I just surrender it uh, to you. And whatever you want to say and whatever you want to bring about, I just want to be an empty vessel for you. And God, for us, as, as we uh, come to this topic, uh, to realize that yet work is important, there's worth to it. But also, our desire as human beings is to glorify your name, for your renown, for your name. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 39, we left off last week, if you remember, in chapter 37. 39 verses 1 through 6. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders... He was, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard, captain of the palace guard, actually, um, for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And that's sort of a, a rephrase, a refrain of, of chapter 37, verse 36, if you remember from last week. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen online to that sermon. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. In verse 6, So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility. In other words, responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing. 
Now, before we get into uh, the fill in the blanks, I just want to make some observations about some key words and key verses. Because on the surface, I think this, this seems to be a cakewalk for Joseph. Is that he comes in as a slave, and everything just kind of clicks. It's, it's like the Greek mythology of Midas. He, you know, everything he touches turns to gold. But that wasn't the case. For example, in verse 1, where he says that, that he was taken down to Egypt. Uh, in, that, in that phrase, it comes from the Hebrew word yarad. It's in your teaching notes this morning. Yarad, it actually means to be physically coerced. It means to be physically subdued. So when Joseph comes into the palace, he's in shackles. And he's probably being pushed around by his masters. So right in the beginning, it's not very smooth for him. But things change. We see that the Lord is with Joseph. And that Potiphar noticed this. But also, Joseph rises up in the ranks. Verse 4. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant to put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. Verse 5, we see the similar language that the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly. His crops and livestock flourished. Between verses 4 and 5, three different times it's mentioned is that Joseph is given entire responsibility. Why does the writer mention this three times? Because this is unique. It's absolutely staggering. It's staggering for a slave to come in and then become, uh, to actually uh, take on and encompass such an, a valuable uh, leadership role. You just didn't see that very often in the ancient world. It was, it was so unique, so rare. It'd be like the Timberwolves going to the NBA Finals. Okay? Very rare. Um, but the fact that, the fact that uh, Joseph rises up in the ranks, yes, the Lord blesses him. That's important here. But also, uh, Joseph has to lend a hand. It's not like God's simply going to wave his, his magic wand and everything's going to kind of click together. And I think we, we see that a little bit. But also, Joseph works. He puts in the effort. It's, what's important for us, too, as we see this, is that, is that as Joseph is working for Potiphar, is that he maintains his faith in God. It's very important for us to see that. Because Joseph is in a very idolatrous environment. He's in Egypt. And Egypt did not worship the God of Joseph. In fact, they had a pantheon. And that pantheon was uh, listed with different gods. For example, Pharaoh was looked as a divine chief priest. And then on top of that, they had all these different gods. And these different gods had these sort of animal characteristics that you would see in statues. Uh, for example, one of the gods, actually one of the most well-known gods, was Anubis. Anubis had this sort of jackal head as a god, and he was responsible for helping the dead through their challenges and trials. Another god in the Egyptian pantheon was this sort of ibis or deer-headed Thoth, who was the scribe to the gods. And then Horus, probably one of the more well-known gods, had this sort of falcon look to him, a falcon-shaped head, and he was the god of the sky and light. And there was Seth, who was recognizable by his mysterious pointed snout. And then there was Osiris, who had this tall white headdress and who represented the idea of resurrection in the next world. And the, what's intriguing about this is that Joseph is in a foreign land and very much like Daniel, when you read about him in Babylon and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is that Joseph is surrounded by an environment that's very much opposed to the God that Joseph worships. And in spite of that, he gives his best. 
God is with him, yes, but between the lines, what can be assumed here is that Joseph works. He gives his best. He works with excellence. And as a result, he gains credibility from Potiphar and from others. The lesson number one that we learn from Joseph is that your work can rise above your circumstances. Because I think for a lot of us as Christians, when it comes to work, and if we work in an environment, whether it's your, your business or a company or a hospital or a school, that seems to be opposed to Christianity or perhaps the espouse values that are not very Christian-oriented, it seems like we have a couple responses to that. And, and a lot of you know what I'm talking about. For some Christians, we see that and we retreat. We think, I shouldn't work there. I'm going to withdraw from that, and I need to, I need to work in a, a more Christianly environment. Or second, the response is, well, I'm going I'm to uh, use this workplace as a battleground for sharing Christ with my coworkers, which is fine, by the way. But what happens, the consequence of that, is then we begin to think about real work happening only in Christian environments or work that only matters if you work in a church or a religious organization. But work in and in, in of itself has worth. Work is good. It's not a necessary evil. And we see that in Joseph. And then the Bible paints a different reality when it comes to work. For example, Joseph, like a lot of us, we're made in the image of God who's a worker. I mean, the opening pages, as we've discovered as a community, right away in chapter 1, it's God working. He's creating. He's forming. He's fashioning creation. He's a worker. And later on, the Bible describes God in different sort of work uh, vocations. He's a gardener. Um, he's a, a painter. He's a metal worker. Um, he's a vineyard dresser. And we see him in a variety of roles as a worker. And then when God comes to us in the flesh, in Jesus Christ, he comes and works as a carpenter. Yes. There's something in work that is inherently good, no matter what kind of environment that we're in. And I want to encourage you this morning, perhaps you're in, a, you're in an environment that seems so opposed and so against any kind of Christian values, and I want to encourage you that your work can rise above your circumstances. And for us, we're made in the image of a God who is a worker. And no matter what environment it is, work is good. Good for what it produces and what it leads to. It reminds me of a story of a pastor that leads a church in Manhattan, and, and he tells this story um, uh, of this doorman that he met um, recently. And, and his name is Mike. Mike is the doorman of a Manhattan apartment. And it's a building a, to a home of about 100 families. And now in his early 60s, uh, Mike has put 20 years in as a doorman of this apart, apartment complex. But the thing about Mike, everybody knows of this about Mike. He has this very distinctive attitude towards work. To Mike, it's far from just a job. He cares about the people in the building. He takes pride in helping people with loading finding parking spaces, welcoming guests. He sets the standard for keeping the lobby in the front of the building clean and attractive. And when he's asked about what makes him drop what he's doing to get to the curb in time to help a resident unload their car or to find a parking spot, he responds with, well, that's my job. They needed help. 
And then he's asked the question, why does he remember the name of every child in that apartment complex? And he says, because they live here. And at one point, he's asked the question, but why do you work so hard at every part of your job? He replied, I don't know. It's just what I need to do to be able to look at myself in the mirror in the morning. I couldn't live with myself if I didn't give my best every day. And I think most people, most of the people that Mike serves are professionals or business people, people that work in the financial district in Manhattan, who probably, as they walk past him, are glad that, that they're not a doorman. Some might even find the work of a doorman demeaning if they had to do it themselves. But Mike's attitude in his heart shows that he recognizes the inherent dignity of the work he's doing. And in this, he brings out its goodness and its worth. And we see this repeatedly. And as we move ahead in chapter 39, another unfortunate event happens to Joseph. As as he's elevated in Potiphar's house, uh, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him repeatedly. And Joseph, because he's a man of integrity, and he's working for his boss, Potiphar, with integrity, with godly values, does not give in to that seduction. So she frames him. And we pick it up in chapter 39, verse 19. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison. Again, another physical action, just tossed into a prison cell where the king's prisoners were held, and there, there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Are we, are we seeing kind of a pattern here? This, we see this over and over, where Joseph has this excellence to his work and this credibility, and, and the Lord is with him. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no worries, just like Potiphar, because Joseph took care of everything. I just love that. This seems like when it comes to Joseph is that he works with excellence and God is with him. And when someone uh, gives their best in whatever environment you're in, that your work can rise above your circumstances. And when you give your best and you do it with excellence and you do it with integrity, as we learn with Joseph, you gain credibility in the eyes of people. No matter their faith orientation. He gains the respect. And someone who knew that quite well was the Apostle Paul. He knew about the importance of giving your best in whatever you do, in whatever circumstance that you are. Because as Paul traveled and planted churches many times, he, very, he faced very hostile environments to the point where in Ephesus, for example, they wanted to kill him. But the Colossian church was complaining about their supervisors and their bosses. And they're complaining and saying, you know what? They don't espouse Christian values. And as a result, we want to kind of fold our arms and not work. Or we want to fold our arms and kind of withdraw from that or not give our best. Paul responds with this, this jewel of a verse in Colossians three twenty three: Work willingly at whatever you do. Underline that phrase. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for for people. And I think that's the key to circumstances, to rise above circumstances, is that you're not working for that person per se. You're working for the Lord. 
And as a result, we ought to give our best. We ought to rise above circumstances and to work towards the Lord and not for people. Well, moving on, as we think about this, this story, certainly God did not need Joseph um, to help Potiphar's livestock and crops flourish. Certainly he didn't need Joseph um, to help the prison warden and the prisoner ha- prisoners have their needs met. God could snap a fingers. He's all-powerful. And he could have made that happen very easily. But I love what Martin Luther talked about. He talked about this relationship between faith and work and the role that we have to play. And you have that quote in your teaching notes. Luther said this, God could easily give you grain and fruit without your plowing and planting, but he does not want to do so. Then Luther asked this important question. What else is all our work to God? Whether in the fields or in the garden, in the city, in the house, in war, in government, or in a tech? But just such a child's performance, in other words, does it really matter? Um, Does it really matter that we have any role in the work by which God wants to give his gifts in the fields at home and everywhere else? And then Luther answers this rhetorical question. He says this, These are the masks of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. In other words, what Luther is saying here, it's absolutely a, a, a fascinating discovery, is that within our work, God is not directly seen, but he's indirectly involved. It's that through our work, wherever we find ourselves in, is that God provides for people. He touches and blesses the lives of people. And we see that in the life of Joseph. We have a saying, Luther says, God gives every good thing, but not just by waving a hand. God gives all gifts, but you must lend a hand. Make the bars and gates. Let him fasten them. Labor and let him give the fruits. Govern and let him give the blessing. Preach and let him win hearts. Take a husband or a wife and let them produce the children. Eat and drink and let him nourish and strengthen you and so on. And this last phrase is absolutely paramount. I'd like you to underline this. In all our doings, he is to work through us. Because the reason why our work has worth and dignity to it and has value because it's through which God is working to touch and bless and provide for people wherever we may find ourselves in whether it's Potiphar or the prison warden, it's through which God provides for people. And that brings us to a second lesson that we learned from Joseph, is that your work involves God's gifts to others. It involves God's gifts to others. We have a family in our church, uh, Chad and Angie Satry, and um, they work in a local uh, car dealership. And Chad is a salesman uh, for this car dealership. And, and Angie is a business manager and also uh, oversees the finance. And on one, one sort of perspective of their jobs in um, the, the car dealership business is that we might simply say, well, they're just selling cars. Chad's job is to sell cars. That's it. Or Angie's job is to make sure that the papers are signed the right way and credit checks are done in a certain way. But think about a car. Think about how God works through their job to provide for people and the making of memories. As you think about what you do and what you have done in a car, it's where we laugh and where we sing. 
Sometimes it's the only place that some of us can sing. Uh, but it's where we laugh and we cry and we sing. It's the place where some of us have our, our most meaningful conversations. So Chad and Angie are not simply selling automobiles for that sake, but actually as God works through them to make memories and to touch the lives of people. And I don't want to make this too idealistic, but it's very true. Think about that. I think about some of the cars that Janiel and I have owned, where we drove Alex and Allie to preschool for the first time, where uh, Alex and Allie took their driver's license test, where Alex and Allie uh, had their first date with their father trailing behind. Just kidding. Uh, where Alex and Allie had their first homecoming in that car. For some of us in our car, we've taken road trips with vacations, and we can, we can tell you like it was yesterday exactly what happened. In the car where Janiel and I have taken our kids to college and dropped them off for the next phase of their lives, Chad and Angie aren't simply selling cars. They're conduits for God's blessing and God's work through their lives to make a difference, to make memories in the lives of people. I love this verse, and you have in your teaching notes. It's on the slide here as, as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Know that. Some of you are in the midst of jobs right now that are crummy. But know that your work is never useless. Your work has worth. It has value. And you may not see that right away, but to know that your work is not useless. It's through you that God gives his good gifts to people. And maybe it's simply to ask God, open my eyes to see how you're working through my work. Because right now, I'm not seeing it. And you may feel like that, 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 that guy in, in the cubicle in office space, where it's just like you're ready just to kind of give up. You're so tired of bosses and supervisors that demean you and dehumanize you. But in our work, we do and encounter coworkers and supervisors that tend to be against us. Um, as, as moms or as fathers, we have moms and mother-in-laws that seem to oppose us in our parenting, in the work of our parenting. You know, in some of us, it seems like, like our supervisors uh, want to fire us or in some way um, frame us in a certain way. And that's hard. And, and just like Joseph, it, 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 you know, we are in those kind of conditions where just like Potiphar's wife that, that seems to harm him by concocting a lie and deceiving him. But the thing that we need to realize that even when humans engage in immoral actions, in wrong, wrong actions, it does not circumvent God's power. He still can work with that. Even when Joseph is framed and he's in prison, is that God's power is so strong that God can use that for the better. We fast forward to chapter 41, and I'm just going to summarize this for you. But it's Pharaoh, and he's having a hard time interpreting uh, these two dreams that he has. And no, nobody in his cabinet can interpret his, this, these dreams. And finally, the cupbearer says, hey, when I was in prison, when I was framed by that chief baker, I was with this man named Joseph. 
This man, Joseph, who worked with excellence and who had this integrity, and he had this gift for interpreting dreams. He could probably do this. So Pharaoh, king of the land, brings in Joseph into his court, and Joseph interprets these dreams. And we're going to talk later on next week about the impact of those dreams. It's huge. But Joseph, as, as we read in 41, just like with Potiphar, just like with the prison warden, is that Pharaoh likes him and pretty soon promotes him to the second man of the land, his right-hand man. A Jewish man in Egypt becomes the second most powerful man in that, that country. Absolutely staggering. But we need to realize this. Between chapter 37 and, and chapter 41, it took 13 years. It took 13 long years from the time that Joseph is a slave to the time that he's in prison to the time that he makes it over to Pharaoh's court. It's 13 long years. And maybe the word that you need to hear this morning in the midst of your job is perseverance. That it's not going to happen right away. Because when we read these stories, it just seems like it happens so quickly. But by the time that Joseph is actually the right-hand man of Pharaoh, he's 30 years old. And he's experienced a lot in his life. And some of us need to have patience. To know that in the midst of our situation, that God is at work. No matter what's happening, no matter the wrong actions against us, no matter the, the hostile environment, is to know that God is working in and through us and that he will ultimately bless us and bless the people around us. Why? just like these bracelets that we've been handing out with this series. Because God says to us, because I said I would. Let me pray. God in heaven, we give thanks to the story of Joseph. And, and Lord, in a similar way, help us in our work to rise above our circumstances. And also, Lord, for us to know that it's through our work that you provide and you bless and touch the lives of people. For us to realize, maybe to connect the dots of the difference that our work makes. And that work in of itself has worth, has value. That we're made in the image of a God who is a worker. So God, I pray that you would walk before, beside, and behind each person in this congregation as they go to their workplaces, as they manage their house, as they parent. For your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.